so, God, that we would be just reminded of that still more today. Keep screaming into our souls. Um, and, and so, Lord, now as we open up your word and dive into, um, Lord, one of the most bizarre books that you gave us, um, continue to speak through it, um, Lord Jesus, by your grace. It's your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated. <clears throat> He's it. <clears throat> well, we're in Revelation chapter 10, and Lord willing, we're going to make it through chapter 11, verse 14 today in our ongoing journey of the book of Revelation. And so um, we're going to go ahead and recap once again. I'm, I'm going to try to do this every week to give us a little, just a little recap. And whether you take a screenshot of it or journaling in your journal, um, hopefully this is helpful to you. Because, again, the book of Revelation is so chock full of all of these things. And so let's kind of be reminded of where we've been in our journey. And again, if this is your first time, this will catch you up to speed as to the book of Revelation. And so chapter 1, we're reminded uh, that this is a unique book because Jesus is the author. It's the only book of the Bible that says Jesus is the author. Um, so Jesus is telling us of soon coming things. We kind of walked through what soon coming meant and the different options of what that could possibly mean. But the bottom line is, the whole book of Revelation is telling us about the end of times, is in a nutshell. <clears throat> and then chapters 2 and 3, we're told that this book of, of the Bible, again, it's not Revelations with an S. There's no S on it. It's just Revelation. It's one Revelation was written to seven churches. They're very real churches. Um, so this is not this mystical, mythical book. <clears throat> it was written to these different churches. And they all received a letter. And they were all talked about different things that the Lord spoke to them about. <clears throat> things that they needed to get right. Things they were doing well. Um, then chapter 4 and 5 showed us that at the end, there would be this unveiling of eternity. And heaven will not again be about, and I want to keep reiterating this because I've seen it on Facebook and social media just this week. Facebook is not about a reunion with Paul Paul. <laughs> I, I, I love your Paul Paul. I don't even know him and I love your Paul Paul. But it's not about a reunion with Paul Paul. It's not about a reunion with Mal Mal. The whole point of heaven is it's all about the throne. It's all about worship and it's all about Jesus. That's what heaven is about. Yes, all those other things are true. And maybe we can fish with Papa and eat Mama's cornbread one more time and whatever that looks like on the streets of gold and whatever. That's great. But the point of heaven is the Lord. And so we're reminded of that. And that's what John says in 4 through 5. And then chapter 6 through 7. The end begins, part 1. We're told that there's this scroll. The scroll has to be read. Once the scroll is read, that's when the end will happen. And so if you've ever wondered, what is the end of the world? I can't tell you everything. I don't, definitely don't know everything. But it has to do with this scroll being read. That's what the rest of the book of Revelation is about. So it begins with all these seals being broken off of the scroll so that it can be read. We all remember those seals. Each seal is peeled back and a different form of judgment falls on the earth. Um, and then we got to chapter 8 and 9, and the end begins part 2. Because after the seals, there's these trumpets that blow, and the trumpets are getting to the unfurling of the scroll. And so with each trumpet, something else happens. And so again, if, if you haven't watched or, or, or weren't here last week, go check it out online. We have all this online <clears throat> as to what all these things are. 
So then uh, all these things will happen to earth or have happened, however you view it, historically, preterist, um, or futurist, or maybe symbolic. So all of these things will happen, <clears throat> and that leads us into today. All right, so I say the end begins part one and part two because today will be the end begins part three. We, st we still won't make it to the end and what the end will be like. That will actually begin next week. But the reason that we don't make it there is because there's this another delay. There's another interruption. We're told the end is coming, but there's these seals and there's these trumpets and then something else is going to happen. As I'm reading through this and studying through this, I really feel like this is a lot like my family around Christmas time when all of the extended family gets together. <clears throat> and so when we get together for Christmas time, everybody's around the table and we're eating turkey or whatever the, the food is. And then the kids, the little kids, and I used to do the exact same thing, have one question in mind. When, when you're devouring that last piece of fruitcake or whatever it is, they don't care about anything other than the what? The presents. Let's get to the presents. And so the chatter of, when are we going to get to the presents? When are we going to get to the presents? And I used to do the exact same thing, and there's always something. Well, we'll get to the presents when we wash the dishes, or we'll get to the presents when we clean up the kitchen, or we'll get to the presents, whatever. We'll get to it then. Well, that's, we're going to hit another one of those moments. You guys have been chewing through this book, trying to get to the opening of this scroll to figure out the end of eternity. And it's like one more time, the Lord's going to say, we're going to get there, but we got to wash the dishes. Hang on one more time. And so we've got these delays that are going to occur today. So by God's grace, let's dive into the word. Let it speak whatever it's going to speak to your heart by the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, the word of God for the people of God, Holy Spirit, do what no man can do. So here we go. Let's chew through the word together. You ready? All right, here we go. So Revelation chapter 10. First, we're going to have this delay by this, um, the seventh trumpet delay by this gigantic angel that's going to show up. So here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Now, this is a pretty spectacular sight, if you will, because this is a pretty spectacular being. This is something incredibly unique, and it's also this pretty spectacular covenant reminder. And so anytime God grants a delay in anything that He does, is always to remind us of this covenant that He will keep in the gospel. And so we've got this going on. So this angel is going to descend, if you take this futuristic view um, of what is going to occur, then in verse 2. And this angel has a little scroll open in his hand. It's not the big scroll that we're waiting on to get to, but he's got this little scroll. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And so I think the beautiful picture of this is, is God's just reminding, even in the midst of chaos, that he is still in sovereign control. So the angel has his one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, and we'll remember back in chapter 9 that Satan has been released at this point before the end begins. And Satan is wreaking havoc. And so what the Lord does is, for His people, He sends this angel as a reminder of, Hey, havoc's going on, but I have control over the sea and the land. And even my angels do my bidding in this. And so there's this delay by this giant angel. And then we get to verse 3. 
And so uh, this angel calls out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring, which I love that song that we just sang just a minute ago, by the way. Um, especially, this gets, we're going to get way off track, so I'm going to make sure I don't chase the rabbit too far. But when we sing the, the Lion of Judah, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes when Andrew sings it, like he'll start growling almost with the lion. I love that, Andrew. Okay, there's a rabbit that we chase. Um, but nonetheless, so this angel begins to roar, and it's like this roaring lion. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now there's our big giant interruption. Again, we're trying to get to the trumpet, and we're like, Lord, will you please get us to the seventh trumpet? And the Lord's like, ah, okay, we've got these seven thunders that have to... And we're like, God, we're tired of all these sevens. No more sevens. And he's like, okay, we'll give you seven more as you're waiting, okay? So here we go, the seven thunders sound. So now we have this delay by these seven mysterious thunders. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. So what occurs is apparently noteworthy, but something's going to happen. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So apparently it's noteworthy, but also nonetheless, it's going to be secretive to us until this day occurs. Verse 5, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is it, that there would be no more delay. And all of us are like, good, I'm tired of delays, but I think what you're going to find out is there actually still is some more delay. But nonetheless, the point is, when these seven thunders occur, you know that the end is, is nigh. Um, I grew up... Most of you guys know the first church I ever served at was uh, Gardendale's First Baptist Church. And, and we had this guy that would sing the Midnight Cry. Y do y'all know the song Midnight Cry? Y'all remember that song? And man, he would sing that song and the whole roof would come off of that place. All right? So I would try to do it, but I'm not going to because then you'd laugh at me. Um, but it's, it's, the whole point is at the Midnight Cry... We'll be going home. This is the midnight cry. It's where we finally made it to. And for everybody else who has no idea what I'm talking about, please go Google it today and listen to that song. It's a great, great song. Uh, just like many of you guys went home last week and Googled Boston Dynamics. I got some emails going, I'm enamored by Boston Dynamics now. But let's keep going. Verse 7. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So again, just reminding us that the end of these th thunders is the consummation of all things. What is the end of the world? It's the consummation of all things. What is the consummation of all things? Sin and sinners are destroyed eternally. Christ's reign inaugurates forever. That's the consummation of all things. That's what we're getting towards. The destruction of sin and sinners and Christ establishing His throne forever. Then we get to another delay. And the delay we're going to find here is because now John is told to go eat that little scroll. All right. So here we go. Verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying... Go take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land, um, to which I would have been like, you want me to do what? 
You want me to go take something out of the hand of someone whose one foot is on the sea and one foot is on the land? No, dog. I mean, I guess dog is God backwards. Anyway, um, but nonetheless, I, I just don't know that I would do this. But he does, verse 9. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. I think that's probably translated best. I requested the scroll to be handed to me nicely. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your, your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Now, what I just said to you a minute ago about the consummation of all things, probably to many of you tasted both bitter and sweet, didn't it? I said to you, the consummation of all things will be the destruction of sin and sinners eternally, to which probably many of you went, Oh, if you be honest with me, how many of you when I said that felt, Oh, that, that feels harsh. Raise your hand. You felt it, didn't you? It felt, it felt bitter. But, as then we talked about, also the flip side of the consummation of all things is the destruction of sin and sinners, but also the establishing of God's reign eternally forever with those who believe in Him. How many of you went, oh, now, now that part I like. Did y'all feel that? So if you felt that part of it, raise your hand. That's that sweet part. And so it is. The gospel is a bitter, sweet message. And you can't take the sweetness and throw away the bitterness, and you can't take the bitterness and throw away the sweetness. You cannot make the gospel any more or less palatable. It is what it is. It's bitter. And the fact that in its bitterness that God's wrath will be poured out on those who reject Christ as Lord and Savior should indeed nauseate us. If we're believers, that should, it should nauseate us. It should call us into action. Why? Because if that's true, man, it should call us to pray. It should call us to serve. It should call us to reach out. It should call us to scream the gospel to everyone. Why? Because believers take no joy in the fact that those who reject Christ will punish, be punished eternally. There's no joy in that. Like preachers who start screaming and seem to get excited about that, like that weirds me out. Like I don't know how that could make anybody happy. That's a bitter thing. But it's also true the gospel also is sweet because God's victory poured out over those who do trust in Him 100% should elate us instead of nauseate us. It should fill our souls with the fact that, whoa, <laughs> I don't deserve any of this. But because of your great love, Lord, I'll worship you relentlessly. Thank you for loving me. And so that's the bittersweet, and that's what I think is going on by this scroll eating, if you would symbolically. And if you are one of those who believe, Troy, I think that's all crazy, and we don't know what that's all about. John just has to eat a scroll. Then I don't know what your interpretation is, <laughs> other than just John eats a scroll. All right. So all that to say, I, I, I think one of the things, side note, that this leads us to is for the believer, if this is true, then church, worship, evangelism, 
giving our lives away, if this is true that God redeems us when we don't deserve it, then all of those things, is church worship, all these things, it's just not optional. It's not optional for the believer. This calls us to wonder and amazement that God would love us and we give our lives away back to Him for loving us first. So I think this is a call to us. And then we get to verse 11. And um, I was told, you must again prophesy about these many peoples and languages and nations and and, uh, kings and all this kind of stuff. So bottom line is, it's like in fifth grade. Um, I was about three foot two, um, about 87 pounds, fifth grade, little bitty. And um, I started an argument. Even though I was this tall, my mouth was as wide as this room, which tended to get me in trouble. And so there was this guy in my neighborhood who, um, who wanted to ride my bike, and I didn't want him to, let my, I didn't want him to ride my bike. Um, he took my bike anyway, because he was bigger than me. And he started riding my bike. And so I screamed at him, you bring my bike back to my neighborhood and I'm going to wrestle you. Right? Well, uh, and, and so a fight was to ensue. So he said, all right, bring it on. I will bring it back. And so I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on him in the yard. All 85 pounds of me, I'm waiting on this dude. Well, he comes riding up and all of a sudden I'm about to teach him my britches. Because I know that this is not going to fare well. All right, so he, he, he drives into the yard and he jumps off my bike. And, and I'm like, okay, great. Now we're here at this moment. What are we going to do? And um, he stands up and he's got his chest puffed out. And, and so I'm not going to back down from him. This was in Hueytown. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, I see him kind of back up. And I thought, I just puffed up. or something. Like, what just happened? Did I just get, am I like four now? And then I hear a voice behind me, and it's my big brother Mark. And he says, what's going on? And all of a sudden, the dude backs up. And then I'm like, what's up now, dog? All right, let's get it on now, sucker. All right, because that's how we talked in Hueytown. Actually, that was my minor days. But anyways, uh, so it's a lot like that. That's what's going on in this passage is it's calling us to be reminded that Christ steps in for the believer and does what we cannot do and fights the battle that we cannot fight and accomplishes that which we cannot accomplish. And for those who trust in Him, eternity waits. But the reality is for those who don't trust in Him, He does not step into their corner and they have to fight their own battle. And who can fight the Lord Almighty? That's the point. Bitter, sweet. And then there's another delay because these two witnesses show up. Chapter 11, verse 1, Then I was given a measuring... Uh, I, actually, I jumped ahead. We're not to these uh, witnesses yet. Now we're going to measure the temple. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. This is a Paul's point. I always like to kind of try to speak to everybody as we're speaking because uh, some of you guys are big into the theology of this. So let me speak to you all for a second. This, to be dead honest with you, is one of those moments where I have a hard time taking the preterist view. <clears throat> Being that this is historical. Because if this is historical, then this moment has to happen before 70 A.D. because the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Okay, so 
maybe you go symbolic at this moment. But the point is, John's saying before the culmination of things, there is this measuring of the temple. Well, the temple doesn't exist right now. And he's not talking about an eternal temple. He's talking about a heavenly temple. All right, so at some point, this temple has to be measured. So at this moment, I, I kind of jump from my tendency, whatever my tendency is theologically, now I jump to a futurist view and go, if this is true, bottom line, what this is saying is, is that before the culmination of all things, the temple has to be rebuilt in Israel. The temple doesn't exist right now. And right now there sits a mosque right on the Temple Mount. So that to say, if you see a war take place and a bomb fly in, hit that mass, hit that mosque, and all of a sudden the temple starts to be rebuilt, you better put your Air Jordans on because <laughs> it's about to go down, um, which is very real. As a matter of fact, just two years ago in 2018, a uh, letter to the Sanhedrin that was written to the prime minister, um, they wrote and said it is time for Israel to start rebuilding the temple. If that occurs, dear friend, it is on like a chicken bone. Right. So John begins to be told before the end comes, these things happen, measure the temple, but do not measure the courts outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 years. In other words, when this moment occurs, the court of the Gentiles is no more. God's grace has run out. It's too late. It's too late. His opportunity to repent and come to Him is over. Then let's get to the final interruption. Now the seventh trumpet is going to be delayed by these powerful prophets that are going to show up. Let's check these guys out and we'll wrap up our time. Verse 3, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. Verse 4, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. In other words, before the end of times and before the scroll is written, these two chosen people will stand up and what they say, number one, will be powerful, but number two, it will be illuminating. It will be like oil from an olive. Okay, that's where they got their oil for their lamps from. So what they say will be illuminating. And watch about these guys. Watch what's unique about them. Verse 5. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, that, this or that is how he's doomed to be killed. So in the end, there'll be these two guys that rise up that have the this, this supernatural protection. They're invincible. But they also have these supernatural powers. So much so that watch what they can do. Verse 6. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as they desire. It sounds an awful lot like Elijah and Moses. Verse 7, And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. So when they arise, apparently at some point, the Lord will remove His protection to allow them to be killed. Why? Verse 8, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Gomorrah, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. So in other words, these two guys will arise, everybody will hate them, 
We hate these weirdos who keep telling us about this impending judgment. They get killed, and because of this, the world celebrates. We're glad they're dead. We don't want, them, we don't want to hear them anymore. Let their bodies just lay in the street. All right? And so, and those who dwell on the earth, now notice this, verse 10, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. So they are so in your face about Jesus that everybody wants them dead. And they die, they get placed on the street, and the whole world watches. Now here's what's interesting about this. You ready? Again, I'm going to, I keep jumping back and forth because, I, I, again, I'm not sure where I fall, but this sounds awful futurist in the sense that before 2007, that was impossible. There was no way before 2007 for everybody simultaneously to watch this take place. Here we are, 2020. Every single one of you in this room can pull out your phone and we can all watch something live right here, right now, together, all across the world. It's pretty fascinating. With that said, verse 11, But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters them, and they stood up to their feet, and great fear fell on those who, had, uh, those who saw them. So they're decaying, but now their bodies come to life. Verse 12, Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. So again, we're waiting for the end of time. It's what's going to occur? We have all these delays, and you've got this measuring the temple, and you've got all this kind of stuff. You've got these guys who show up, they get killed, they now all of a sudden bust up, and they rise up, and they flop into heaven, and the whole world watches it. God, why would you do that? And the only thing I can come up with it's when that occurs, if that's a futuristic thing, and the whole world sees it, no one at that point can say, you didn't give me enough time and didn't give me enough opportunity to respond positively to the gospel. At that moment, when that occurs, everyone goes, I rejected that God. But remember, the court of the Gentiles is already shut at this moment. And so it's God pouring out saying, I gave you time. I let you hear the gospel. I told you the truth. Why would you not respond? Well, God, I was too busy. I liked hunting, fishing. I liked, I don't know, it was too skeptical. I don't know. Uh, God, the whole give your life to Jesus thing sounded kind of wonky. You know, God, I, I love the fact of Jesus, but I really don't want to give my life away. All this kind of stuff. None of that will hold water. You know, say, so I gave you an opportunity. Here's how powerful I am. And so at this moment, verse 13, And at that very hour, there's a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city falls. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified, giving glory. That giving glory doesn't mean it in the sense that youth and I usually throw out giving glory. At that moment, what that means is they're terrified, and all they can do is fall on their face and go, Oh my God. And I don't mean that in a... Uh, coarse kind of way. I mean, I think that's what they'll say. Uh, oh, God. And they bow in awe. Verse 14, The second woe has passed. Behold, 
the third woe is soon to come. And that is enough for today. Powerful passage. Three things we can take away from this passage. Number one, God's delayed coming is gracious, but it is indeed just a gracious delay. I think we can take away that from the passage. His delay is gracious. This is the second delay we've already seen. There was y'all remember the delay between the uh, sixth and seventh seal in the, in chapter seven. There was a delay there. Uh, it, it, there'll be a third delay that's coming. It's in chapter sixteen, in between the sixth and seventh bowls. But each delay, every time God delays in His coming, the whole point of that is to encourage His followers. The whole point in every delay is for His followers who are experiencing chaos, for Him to go, hey, I know chaos is going on, but let me encourage you. I'm going to delay this to show you that I'm still here. I'm still for you. I'm still for your good. And so He does that in the midst of chaos. And each delay, He does something to remind people of His sovereign control. This time, He drops an angel down with a foot in the sea and a foot in the land. The whole world goes, that's a big angel. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk just came to life. And each time he reiterates in delays, his point in delaying his coming is to say, hang on, but I will be victorious. It's to be reminded of that. And so the whole point of that is, guys, be reminded today as you read this, God's gracious delay is telling us that this place is not our home. This is not our home. Like we give our whole lives to enjoying everything here and now, and it's not our home. The delay is to remind us that we're just strangers and aliens passing through. Take from me everything, as the song just said, but I'll still praise you because the coming reality is more real than the current reality that you're experiencing right now. Let's do something. All right, feel, feel the seat next to you. Feel the seat. All right, feel it with your senses. Touch it. Touch. Come on. Nobody's too cool here. All right, feel, feel the seat. You felt it, didn't you? All right. The coming reality is more real than what you just felt. And that's what God's gracious delay is reminding us. It's coming. All right, so we can take that away. And then number two. God's delayed coming should ignite a fire in true believers to engage the lost. Who can you share with the good news of Christ this week? Where can you share the good news of Christ this week? As I'm chewing through this, this Revelation's doing something in me, man. It's, it's, it's like it's messing with me. It's messing with a lot of us. But it's like messing with my purpose. Like it's... Like I feel myself, in the book of Revelation, I feel myself getting closer and closer to the edge. Whatever the edge is, like I feel myself getting closer and closer, and it, it causes the question, Troy, what have you done with your life? Has it been about Troy, or has it been about the gospel? And, and I feel it, and I'm like, so this, this past week, I was like, all right, God, here we go. We hadn't done this in a while. Would you this week make it crystal clear five people that I should share the gospel with? Just prayed that simple prayer. And I'm telling you, it was like the Lord went, 
All right, bad boy. You ask. Let's see what happens. And this week, in the first two days, there was five people who God made it crystal clear. This person talk about Jesus. This person talk about Jesus. This person talk about Jesus. And I think that's what Revelation should do to all of us. As we read it and we think about the impending coming, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about me. I just need to tell, I got to tell somebody else about Jesus. So my call to us is, will you be crazy enough to take a prayer challenge today? And just ask the Lord, Lord, give me five people to share with this week. The gospel, just give me five people and make it crystal clear. I'm, I'm begging you to do that. And let's just see what the Lord does. Again, the whole point at Safe Haven has never been about filling up the room. And it never will be about filling up the room. But if we can just share the gospel with one more person that may fill up eternity, then revelation was worth it for us. Will you take that challenge? Let's see what the Lord does. All right? So, how can you share the gospel with this week? I think that's what Revelation calls us to. How can you share it? How can you leverage your social media to share the gospel? How can you leverage your workplace to share the gospel? How can you leverage your hobbies to share the gospel? How can you leverage overseeing vacations? How can you leverage it to share the gospel? I think that's the point of Revelation. And then I think we can talk, and number three is the band comes back up. The third thing I think we can take away from this passage is this. The gospel is the most important thing on earth, and I'm the least deserving of any of its benefits. <laughs> like, that's what I feel every time I read the book of Revelation. Like, I read the book and I'm like, God, I have no idea why you would love me. And maybe it's doing the exact same thing for you. If we enter into eternity and experience the grace of the Lord... It's only because of the grace of the Lord. Nothing that we did to deserve it. Nothing that we did to earn it. And I think that's what this calls us to. Jim Elliott, the missionary, I love the quote. Right before the Lord took him, a spear to the sternum. We'll leave it at that. We did have kids in here. He's a missionary. And right before he died, he wrote in his journal, Lord, let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make of me a fork, so that man, upon approaching me, must turn one way or another in their relationship with Christ. I think that's what Revelation calls us to be about. That when somebody walks up to you in the grocery store and you have struck up a conversation about the latest Franzia flavor or the newest butter, that they should walk away not thinking about Franzia or butter, but going, because of that interaction, now I have to do something with Jesus. I think that's what Revelation calls us to, church. So, unbeliever, would you accept Christ today? If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if you've not repented and trusted in Him, let today be the day of salvation. Call on Him today. Why would you tarry? Today!
Call on Him. This is my sin. I, you're the righteous Savior. I'm offering all of me in obedience to all of you. Give your life today. You can do that where you sit. You can come here and pray. I'll be hanging out. You can come talk to me. You can write it down on the, the, the handout. Today I'm trusting in Christ. Talk to me this week and we'll follow up with you. Why would you tarry? The end is nigh. These things are coming soon. Whatever that means. And then believer. What do we do? We ought to sing relentlessly. We ought to shout victoriously. We ought to smile joyfully. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of this planet, even in an election season. Why? Because we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So rejoice greatly. Let's pray. So God, thank you for your text one more time. May these chapters in Revelation do their work in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I, I'm just, I trust that you're speaking to all of us individually as believers. But today I'm praying that you draw the heart of unbelievers, that they will confess their sin, pray to trust in you today, confess with their mouth that you are Lord, receive the free gift of grace and forgiveness. God, that they'll follow through with baptism, that they will follow through with living in Christian community and they will live their life for your glory. Save souls today, Lord Jesus. As we worship you, be exalted in our midst. Would you stand and let's worship the Lord together.